Hey to all you fish enthusiasts out there. Whether you're an avid angler or just curious about fish, we'd like to welcome you to Fish of the Week. It's Monday, June 21st, 2021, and we're excited to talk about all the fish. I'm Katrina Liebich with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service in Alaska. And I'm Guy Yiro, a freelance snorkel videographer. This is a two-part episode about Bristol Bay sockeye salmon, and our guest today is Orville Lind, who's a fisherman, an artist, a poet, and also a native liaison with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Welcome, Orville. Jamai. Hello. Guyana. Thank you. My name is Orville Lind. I'm a retired commercial fisherman, started back in 1964 when I was nine years old as a deckhand, actually, with my brother, who was uh, just got a, a permit and a boat and started commercial fishing back on the Chignik side, which is the Pacific side of the Alaska Peninsula. And then later on, I moved over to um, uh, Bristol Bay back in 1978. I believe I started gillnet fishing on the, on the Bristol Bay side. So for folks that aren't familiar with this region, can you just kind of paint a picture for us in terms of what it's what it's like out there, what it looks like? Well, on the Pacific Coast side, uh, uh, on the Kodiak Island side of the Alaska Peninsula, not only do they have salmon fishery, they also have cod fishery, halibut fishery, and um, crab fishery. And then, of course, uh, on the, the north side of the Alaska Peninsula, we have the salmon uh, fishery, Bristol Bay being the largest salmon nursery in the world. And um, I have had the pleasure of fishing there since 1978 up until about five years ago. I think we should probably get into what a typical day as a commercial fisherman in the Bristol Bay or down in Chignik, whichever one you would prefer to talk about, what a typical day would be like for you going out on the water. My day would typically be going out and looking for um, jumpers. And my crew is also doing that. And uh, my job is to keep an eye on them to make sure they do that. And so we have uh, eye scanning the, the waters all the time for salmon jumping out of the water. And um, when uh, the, the time is uh, set for an opening, uh, we're, we're in the area where we think that we're going to catch the most salmon and, of course, uh, wait for the ADF and G to give us a go to set out. Competition is really aggressive on who um, can catch the most fish in the shortest amount of time. And therefore, we do have also permits that are doubled on one boat so they can catch more fish with an extra net on board. Are the boats just really close together? Is it hard to maneuver around in that kind of environment? Oh, we're, we're so close. We actually uh, nudge each other or bump into each other. I started off with a, a fiberglass boat and um, I made sure that uh, no metal boat uh, got close enough to hit me because the metal <laughs> boat would win. <laughs> yeah. And oh, so... Goodness. And so, yeah, it's a very aggressive fishery. But for the most part, you know, it's been my experience that people really are gentlemen. It's exciting. It's the only time we get to work for three and a half weeks and make uh, enough money to uh, bring us through the hard winters. But uh, sometimes it's frustrating too, especially if you ruin gear when nets are so close together that the salmon will hit one net and swim into the other net. And now you got two nets uh, connected. Man. And then the other guy tries to pull the net from your net and then rips your net and his net. Oh, no. So, yeah. yeah. 
So some people in our audience might not know some of these techniques and places that you're talking about. Can you quickly describe what it means to uh, be a gillnet fisherman or to be seining and what that process looks like? Absolutely. First of all, first of all start off with the seining. Uh, basically, you have a, a net that's you know 125 fathoms long, and you have a, a skiff on one end and a boat on the other end, and then you kind of you, you tow like that or, or just wait for salmon to come in. And then, of course, you close it up. Basically, you don't have to touch the salmon because uh, the equipment on a saner is that they are the braille or they lift up salmon and, and dump it into the boat holding tanks. Now, <clears throat> I, I moved to Bristol Bay in 77 and then uh, was introduced to a gillnet fishery. Uh, that's totally different. Gillnet fishery back in, in the, the late 70s, you basically had to handpick each salmon out of the net. Sometimes you could have uh, 10,000 pounds or 30,000 pounds in the set or even, even more. So your crew has to handpick those salmon out of the net. Uh, I believe uh, my first experience was 16,000 pounds in one set, which took about 20 minutes, 25 minutes, and took us about uh, three hours to pick all the salmon off the net. And so it's a lot of hand work. Uh, back breaking work, but again, the rewards are are more than because now you have uh, either the salmon that you can feed your family with and the monies to buy fuel and other things you need for the winter. That's crazy that it takes you almost 10 times as long to pick the salmon out of the net than it does to leave it in the water and actually catch them. And so the gill nets just kind of, I imagine, is it anchored to the bottom or is it floating on uh, buoys? And how, how long is it? Well, there's, there's a couple of different ways that uh, Bristol Bay fish. The first one is the net site, which is anchored down off a river bank or a coastal bank, a beach. Uh, they set the net straight out, anchored it out there and anchor on the inside. And then they just wait for the salmon to hit the net or a tide and then they start picking after it's full. Now, the drifting permit is where you have a boat and it has three shackles of net on board. They set it out and then you just kind of wait till a salmon hit. Sometimes it takes a while, but sometimes you can sink a net full of salmon in uh, 10 minutes if you're in the right place at the right time. So the fish just, you gotta have the, have the right mesh size so that they kind of get their heads through there and then it gets caught on the gill plates and they can't really back out, correct? Yes, and, and the key for a vessel with a, with a good captain and good crew, uh, they can put in upwards of 400,000 pounds in one, one month of fishing. Wow. And uh, if, you, if you talk like 65 cents a pound, all that money adds up pretty quickly. There's no place in the world you can make that much money in that short of time. So if you have a captain that's very good and have crew that can pick salmon real fast so you can get that net back in the water, you've got a good operation. After the fish leaves your boat, who does it go to and what else goes down the chain to, before it ends up in the supermarket? Well, it sort of depends on who you fish for. If, uh, for, for example, uh, if you fish for Trident, which is one of the largest seafood salmon markets out there. It'll go to what they call a tender, which is a large, large vessel, mostly about 125, 130 feet long. So when you get your boatload of fish, you bring it over to the, the tender and they lift uh, the bags of salmon off there, weigh the salmon, and then they drop it in to their, their holding tank. 
And then from the holding tank, they're actually going through a processor where now the heads are being cut off, they're being gutted, the flays are being made, and then they'll go into a, what they call a, a flash frozen part of it, and where they will flash freeze those salmon. And of course, it'll, it'll be uh, uh, sacked or covered and then brought into the, the market wherever it's supposed to go. That's cool. Look at the behind the scenes. Yeah, thank you. So I've seen some of your paintings or of the red salmon when they're like kind of in the rivers. Can you talk a little bit how the fish change from when you're catching them in the ocean to when they return to the rivers, this sockeye salmon in particular? You know, they're, they're, uh, they're all nice and shiny. And when they're silver in the lagoon, they go up the river and they start changing colors and um, they get a beautiful bright red with green heads. I mean, the colors are just gorgeous. But, you know, it's, it's like these salmon, they provide everything for us, food in all sorts of ways. But then they go to our, where we live. I mean, how valuable is that and how, how respectful is that for that salmon to return to us year after year? And, and that shows that we have a lot of gratitude and uh, respect for that resource. Could you speak a little bit to the meaning of salmon to the communities out in the Bristol Bay region of Alaska? That's a great question. I love talking about it because being part of the, the Bristol Bay fishery, you're not only just a part of it, it's, it's kind of your life, your whole life. Salmon are so valuable uh, to us. You know, it, it's the very part of us that rely on that resource and we respect it so much we we also try to conserve that resource for our children's future how we catch them how we uh, harvest uh, the salmon to preparing uh, foods for the winter smoked salmon dried salmon back in when i was a young child my dad had a dog team and then so you know not only did the salmon provide for us humans but for our dog teams also my grandmother told me the story I was uh, seven years old, and uh, my dad did not say yes because I wanted to go fishing with him so bad. And uh, so I was angry why he didn't take me fishing. So I went to the beach to, uh, to be by myself, and, and uh, my grandmother came down and says, uh, you know, uh, one day you'll get a chance to go on your dad's boat when you get bigger and stronger. And all these fish were jumping in the lagoon, and, and, and I said, where, where all this fish come from? What are they doing? What makes them jump? And she says, when you're happy, I see you jump. And uh, when, when you come home, uh, you're happy, right? And so she got this story stick and she drew in the sand a river, just starting of a river, if you will, will picture. So she started this line from the river and she said, when, when you leave your home, you're going out for your journey. And in, during this journey, you're going to run into some trouble, like we all do. You learn a lot when you get in trouble, because you usually learn not to do what you just did. You know, so you mature as you continue your journey, and you go out into the ocean, and then you grow, and then you become more mature, but you'll still run into trouble. And then you, when, you, when the timing's right, you get to come back home. <laughs> so coming back to where the river started, she actually drew a salmon. So the salmon's journey, she said, comes from the river. They go out into the ocean. They go out there until they get big enough, strong enough, and smart enough, and then they come back to their home. And that's why they're jumping for joy, she would say. 
<laughs> so, Orville, as a native liaison for U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, are you what exactly does that position mean in the context of of fish conservation? You know, I, I'm going to first start off by saying this is not a job; it's it's an adventure. I, I love the the places that this, this takes this position takes me to. But not only that, I am now on the other side of the fence. Backing up before I became Native Liaison, I was actually assisting the regional advisory councils, uh, helping make proposals and and keeping track of of uh, wildlife and and all the resources on the Alaska Peninsula. So when it comes to salmon, of course, it's been it's been a, a real hot topic in the last five years. Being from Chignik's on the Pacific side where I grew up and commercial fished, uh, now they're not they're not getting any salmon at all. They got one, I believe, yesterday. They should be getting thousands by now. So there's places all over Alaska that are really experiencing some sad returns. Not only just sockeye salmon, but all five species of salmon. And I hear from villagers because they call me up and ask questions. You know, what's happening down on Alaska Peninsula, Sandpoint area, Area M, uh, Kodiak, uh, Southeast. And so um, the increasing awareness now is that salmon resources are declining and um, there's some high concerns. So what would you want people to know about how they can support indigenous fishermen, indigenous fishing communities out in this region of the, the world? I would have to go back to, again, how valuable our environments are to ourselves and to our future. Again, teaching about salmon cycles, teaching about uh, water quality and quantity, and uh, how do we do that? I remember being part of Adopt a Stream, Adopt a Lake, you know, that type of deal with our young people. And uh, young people, believe it or not, love to own something, love to become an ownership of something. That way they will have respect for it. And again, I think uh, we live in a very fast paced world today. I think we all need to slow down. We all need to slow down a bit and teach those traditional values to our young people. And I think we can have some hope uh, with, with the new generations. If you had a message you could give to young people or future generations about conserving Bristol Bay, sockeye salmon, what would you want to tell them? You know, you've heard this before. Elders used to teach us, take care of the land, it will take care of you. Take care of the waters, it will take care of you. For Alaskans, the young people, is attend culture camps. Uh, listen to your elders and how they used to have such respect for the resource that they would keep their streams clean, they would keep their rivers clean, Teach the kids on how to have honor and respect for the land and for the water. We've kind of gotten lazy in teaching our children about the environment and how important it is. We need to activate our love for the environment, I think. There's a quote I'm going to close with. It says, in the end, we will conserve only what we love. We will love only what we understand and we will understand only what we are taught. That's a good one. Cool. It was great talking to you today, Orville. Yeah, I really wish we had more time to keep talking. This has been great. Thank you. Guyana Sanat, thank you very much.
and we hope everybody gets out there and enjoys all the fish and hopefully enjoys some sockeye salmon at some point, wild sockeye salmon from Alaska. Thanks for listening to Fish of the Week. My name is Katrina Liebich, and my co-host is Guy Iro. Our production partner for this series is Citizen Racecar. The show is produced by David Hoffman, co-produced and story edited by Charlotte Moore. Post-production by Garrett Tiedemann. Fish of the Week is a production of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, Alaska Region, Office of External Affairs. As the service reflects on 150 years of fisheries conservation, we honor, thank, and celebrate the whole community, individuals, tribes, the state of Alaska, our sister agencies, fish enthusiasts, scientists, and others who have elevated our understanding and love as people and professionals of all the fish.